Thanks for joining us again on the Family CTO Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tharler. Today we'll be chatting with Trevor Farrow from LoomCube, a brilliant company whose products are helping us to not only perfect our photography and videography creations on the go, but also bring us out of the dark ages on our many video conference calls. Later on in the episode, we'll explore what factors and equipment to consider as you work from home, including some really cool products you probably haven't heard of. But first, let's hear from Mr. Farrow, a true luminary in his field, a bright guy who truly lights up the room wherever he goes. Certainly not a flash in the pan. In fact, no one can hold a candle to him. Don't worry, I think this will just fade out soon. Ah, yes, a beacon of hope with a sunny disposition, a shining example of how a sparkling personality and laser focus can really make a difference when it comes to... Our guest today is Trevor Farrow from LoomCube. Trevor, I appreciate you coming on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the company? Well, yeah, first off, thanks for, for having us, Scott. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah, my background with LoomCube started about four and a half years ago where I was finishing up my marketing degree at San Diego State and looking for the classic internships to bridge the gap between college and the work life. and stumbled upon this startup locally in San Diego called LoomCube. And at the time, it was when GoPros were really gaining popularity. Action sports were not only a trend in the photo video market, but a big passion of mine. I surf, I skate, I love this stuff. So seeing a local company here in San Diego that was revolutionizing the lighting side of things where not only are they creating cool lights for your camera, your smartphone, all this stuff, but it's it was allowing people to do action sports at night. Some of our first ambassadors were Jamie O'Brien, who's a a surfer out in Hawaii, and then Ryan Sheckler. I'm a a young marketing degree in college coming out. What? I can do marketing work with these cool action sports athletes? This is so cool. So that's kind of what got me hooked on LoomCube originally. And I, I, I really saw the foresight of the direction that lighting was going. It was when cameras were getting so small and so good where iPhones were getting better and better. Like I said, GoPros, all these action cams were popping up and lighting didn't really follow the trend. It was still big studio lights or LED panels with batteries in the back. And the idea of the Loom Cube, I thought was just, there was a really a strong place in the market for it. So I jumped in four and a half years ago. And now obviously the company has changed a lot. We have different lighting solutions for different markets, depending on what you're looking for. But that's kind of how I, I got started at LoomCube. Okay. And for those in the audience who might not have heard of LoomCube, what else should they know about the company and how it was developed? We were started on Kickstarter. We did two successful Kickstarter campaigns back in 2015 and 2017 that really got the company off the ground and moving from a, a capital standpoint. And we create portable lighting solutions for creators and communicators mainly. So the creator market, anyone that's shooting photo, video, filmmaking, even vloggers um, and videographers, all these guys that lighting is so important. We really wanted to revolutionize how they can use lighting in their work without breaking the bank. So that's one side of the thing. We have waterproof lights that you can take underwater to get creative with or in your photography, but then really good LED panels. If you're just shooting video or need like a key light, 
So that's the photo video creator side, if you will. And then the other side of the business that has really taken off during COVID especially is lighting for, we call them the communicators. So what we're doing right now, essentially. So we both have our LumaCube lights on us. If I didn't have this, it's a, a less good looking version of myself. I believe. You're looking, starting to look like that witness protection program look. <laughs> exactly. I could lower my voice and be anonymous. So that is the communicator side that has popped up. We came out with a, a solution, lighting for video conferencing in particular back in 2018. And during COVID, obviously, with everyone sheltering, going into their homes, this really became a big part of the business where people wanted to still hold their presentation and looking good while they're on video calls, talking to their colleagues or coworkers, things like that. And so then lighting for communicators really took off. And now we're lighting up people's video calls. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think one of the things that actually might have helped LoomCube was that this is about when people started either hacking or it became a feature that you can use your phone camera's flash to be on and light stuff. And so I think that sort of sparked people's head like, huh, actually, maybe I do want good lighting in my photography, but this is too bright and I can't control it. So was that a big catalyst for you guys? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would definitely say it's like lighting and content. It's intimidating, right? Your flash goes off like you're drawing attention to yourself. Like you better know how to use it if you're using a, a light. I feel like that's the common misconception with lighting. So, yeah, when the iPhone started having powerful flashes or just like a constant light, I think people probably through just taking selfies or taking photos of things and like, wow, look how good that looks like my flash is really good. I wonder what else is out there. And our LoomCube products, the cubes themselves are all Bluetooth controlled. So when you take a photo on your smartphone, it'll actually flash with your phone. So it's an off camera iPhone or Android flash, which I think people really have a lot of fun with too, but 100%. I wanna dive in and talk about specific products, but before we do, let's talk about lighting terms that we should all be familiar with. What are the yeah. sort of basic terms that people should know when they start looking at lighting? Number one would probably be color temperature, which our LED panels, the panel mini and the panel go, you can actually adjust the color temperature inside the light, but it's essentially how warm or how cold you want your light to be. So it's measured in Kelvins. The higher the Kelvin in the light, the more white it'll be. Or if you go above 6,000, it'll get a blue tint. Daylight balance is like 5,600, 5,700 Kelvin. So if you go outside the sun on a normal day, it'll be around 5,600 Kelvin. And so as the temperature number goes up in the thousands of Kelvin, then it starts to get brighter in either like a white or a blue tint? Yeah. I, I say cooler. As you go higher, it gets cooler. Yeah. So from an orange light to more of a white bluish light. And as you go down, our panels go down to 3,200 Kelvin. It gives off a very orange tan look. But... It's super important, especially for if you're trying to match the ambient lighting in your room. And this applies to people on video calls or people in filmmaking or photography. If you're shooting a wedding and going from outdoors to indoors, there might be warmer lighting indoors. So you want your lights to match what the light, the surrounding lighting is. So it looks natural. The goal is to everything to be well lit without it being obvious you're using lighting. So being able to really match the um, surrounding lights is super important and adjusting color temperature is how you do that. Um, it's actually a very important concept because I think people 
tend to be either too dark or too bright. And then you either can clearly see that they're not familiar with lighting or that they just turned on a light and shined it right in their face. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so with the color temperature, I just want to call out, you touched on this, but it's counterintuitive to people who aren't into photography that the higher the temperature, the cooler the, the look. And it's because it looks like that sort of early morning or daylight kind of thing versus warmer is actually a lower temperature. It's obviously the, the opposite of how things work in the heating world. Okay, so um, we've got temperature. What else should we know? Yeah, power, I would say, is a, a really important one and the or the brightness of the light. So we, lumens is a very common term when talking about LED lights, but we really like to use lux. Lumens is the brightness of the LEDs that are actually inside the light. The lum cube, for example, the small cube light, it's a 1500 lumen LED. People that are using, it's all about casting light onto your subject. Yeah. So we use lux, which is the measurement of brightness at a certain distance from the light. So if my subject is one foot from me, from my camera, how much light will actually hit them? So if you're comparing LEDs, definitely make sure you take power into consideration because with lighting, power is everything. And just an obvious example of this is you might have a little flashlight on your keychain and that could be throwing off the right brightness, but you're certainly not going to light anything other than your car door with that. Example I like to use is the beacon lights on an airplane. Like those are high in lumens. You can see them from very far away. They're very bright, but they aren't casting light onto anything. So they're, they had a very low lux, but a very high lumens. So those are super important. I would say another one would be CRI, which is color rendering index. Essentially the accuracy of the light that is shining onto your subject. So how accurate does my skin tone look right now versus if you saw me in real life? If you're shooting a product and you put your light on it, is it lighting it up to the true essence of the colors and the tones of what it actually looks like in real life? How into photography and, and video were you before you joined LumCube? I would say my experience with photography was taking pictures of other people in college on my phone. You okay, know, like so you pictures. weren't necessarily like a photo bug or walking around all sorts of fancy cameras and things? Not at all. It really, I started at LumCube, started working the trade show circuit, actually. I'm a really competitive person and really got bugged by not knowing the answers to these questions that people had for me. And I managed our social media at the time. I was patrolling all the comments on the advertisements, the, the messages, the DMs. And there's a lot of questions that are very technical in the photo video world. So Google became my best friend. And I just started looking everything up, kind of building this bank of knowledge. And then at a certain point, I was like, I know so much about photo video now. I might as well pick up a camera, see what I can do. And now I shoot a lot of our content at LumCube and I'm heading in a, a content marketing direction. So yeah, super funny. It came in with zero knowledge of photo video. But I, I think that speaks to the brand, which is that it, it instantly appeals to people who are really into photography and video, but then it enables other people to get into it and to have their stuff look really good. Our lights can serve different people's skill levels and experience in, in, in photo and video. For example, the LumCube itself or a LumCube panel could be the first light that a creator gets. They pair it with their camera 
And this is their main light that they use for interviews, for portraits, for macro. It's the only light in their gear bag and they love it. Whereas someone who's filming movies in Hollywood, they could use that same light behind a plant as a fill light in the corner of the room or like an accent light or in a car scene, they'll suction cup it to the windshield to add an, a little extra light inside the car. So there's so many uses for light and it's been really interesting to see how it can be the main light for beginners or there is still a use for the high-end filmmakers um, that are creating movies with this thing. We've talked about a couple of the products. Let's go into specifics. So the cube itself is, I think it's like roughly the size of a golf ball. It is a cube and it's like a couple inches in each direction. Yeah. And then the panel go is, I don't know, maybe an iPhone 5 kind of size. Yeah, you're correct. About the size of the iPhone. Then a panel mini is like the size of a credit card. That's pretty tiny. Yeah. So these are literally meant to go on the back of your phone or on the back of a tablet or your laptop and they sort of suction onto there. Correct. Yeah. And that's mainly for the, the communicator market, if you will. So the people yeah. that are doing video calls. Yeah. We recommend the panel mini or the panel go for video calls because you can adjust that color temperature in light. So yeah, yeah, either suction cup it to your computer or use like a nice desktop stand. Those are the, the go-to mounting solutions. They're made clearly for multiple uses. And so it comes with that, the tripod threading so that you can just stand it up and adjust the height. Absolutely. So the broadcast lighting kit, it comes with the desktop stand that extends up to a couple feet and collapses back down. And then it also comes with a suction cup too. So if you're on the go using a, a laptop, you can just stick it onto your computer and kind of have lighting on the go as well. So it's a, a nice all encompassing kit for sure. So, I know that you shoot a lot of the stuff. If people go to the site, they'll actually see you on there. It's the guy with the beard who does all the product videos. Are you using exclusively LoomCube products when you're shooting those videos or what are you using? We have a studio light and some fill lights, a rim light. And for our use, we're not strictly using LoomCubes to light up the, the studio. And this kind of goes back to the different lights for different needs of people along their own journey. So for us, we move pretty quickly. We're in the drone market, the photo video market, the video conferencing market, the smartphone market, and we're making a lot of videos. So it's really nice to just go into the studio. The lights are plugged in, you turn them on and everything looks great. That doesn't mean that you can't achieve good studio lighting with LoomCube products you do have to keep an eye on battery life and things like that, where if you can afford studio lights and you're just going to be in the studio, by all means, get big studio lights. There's a, there is a science to lighting that the bigger the surface area, the softer it's going to be. And if, and if you are near outlets and plugs and you can afford those multiple thousand dollar setups, by all means, you're going to get good results with that. But as soon as you leave the studio where plugs aren't in play anymore, you can't carry around massive lights. That's where our product comes into play. I'll tell you the, the time we do use them in the studio is if we're filming some B-roll stuff and we use them as fill lights all the time. You describe what a, you've said it a couple of times, what a fill light means or what the yeah, different yeah, yeah. kinds of lights Sorry. are. Sorry. So a fill light would be, you have lights elsewhere. You could have your key light or a rim light set up. And a fill light, or at least how I'm using it, is just, is just to fill in light on the, the parts of the product or the person that I want to draw focus to. So like 
the main light, for example, as on my face right now, I could do a fill light on the side of my face or just something to add in a little extra light to my main lighting source. So our products are pretty small. So if they're on a table, we have overhead lighting, like I'll use a fill light or another loom cube to light it from the front. So the camera is picking up all the details or just where I want using my hands because the studio lights are huge and they're static, but using yeah. our products since they're so small to move them around as a little fill is something I do all the time. So it's good for bringing out details and maybe making a, like a more dramatic effect. Absolutely. And when shooting products or, or things that are smaller, the smallest lighting effect can make all the difference. Just a little hint of light, just a little splash of light on this side of the product can totally take your, your photo or video from normal to much cooler. I know that ring lights are really popular and mm. I've used ring lights and it's cool how they have a little holder there for your phone, but they're just big. And what I noticed the difference is about, let's say the, the Go model that you have is that there are so many more settings mm -hmm. that the average ring light has four temperature settings and then maybe it has 10 different brightness settings and yours has at least 20 different brightness settings. So you can really fine tune to exactly what you want. So for me, the ring light just seems clunky because it's big and you can't really get the detail that you want. We always talk about ring lights. It's so incredible how popular they are. You see them everywhere. And I think the idea of putting your, your camera inside of the light, I think is what has made those popular because you get the pretty ring on your eye. Like it's very even lighting because it's a perfect circle around your camera. For the mass market, ring lights are probably one of the first lights that people buy just because it's, I need a light and your brain just goes to ring light. But really educating people why your ring light can only do so much. And if you need to achieve these other things in lighting, like LumCube is a good option for that, I think is important. So what are some common misconceptions about lighting and photography? It's a great question. I guess a lot of people think that they can just get by with natural light. There's a lot of like anti-artificial light people out there. It's I'm a purist or like I only use the sunlight or what's available to me which I definitely understand that, but I think it is a common misconception and might have to do with just the, it's intimidating, like picking up an LED or a flash and using it in your content, which you don't need it until you need it. I'd say another one would be when you buy a light, all your content's just going to be better. I, I definitely did that. I bought a really nice camera, took a photo. I'm like, what the heck? It looks the same as my other camera, but it's really up to the user and how you're creatively using your tools that are in your tool bags. I would say as a content creator that the camera is essentially what records something mm -hmm. and it doesn't really become content until you add that. Like the creator makes it content because it's only video yeah. until then. Yeah, absolutely. If money weren't an object, at what point does somebody make the jump to light boxes or some like those umbrellas and big fancy mm -hmm. things? Vlogging is in the category where you probably don't need, the high-end vloggers do, like the big YouTubers, they have big umbrellas and big soft boxes. So I guess that is an exception there as well. But for the on-the-go stuff, you're never really gonna need to get soft boxes if you're always shooting on the go. But I, I would say it just depends how professional you need your content to be. If you are 
a high-end videographer, a filmmaker, if you need to do high-end portraits for a client or headshots, like you are going to need to invest in big soft boxes, especially if you have a studio, right? So if you have a space for it, that I would say you're monetizing or just really passionate about creating this professional quality content, I would say definitely that's when you would decide to invest in soft boxes and big lights, but they are not cheap. That's another good point. You're saying studio lighting. If you don't have a studio, you probably don't necessarily need a light box. But if you don't have a studio, then you're not at the level. So it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing, but yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be the guy with a bunch of light stands and soft boxes in your car at all time. <laughs> That's definitely a pain. Yeah, I would say let the content lead you in that direction. Absolutely. Your content needs to evolve. If you can get to a million subscribers with average lighting, then that means people really like your content. And so it's time to treat them to good lighting. Yeah. What are some of the things that you always travel with? First, I guess it comes down to how you're traveling and i use peak design and wandered are my two favorite backpacks really awesome brands and sometimes i'll bring both bags just because i want to bring a lot of stuff but for lighting itself i will definitely bring the loom cubes themselves the the loom cube 2.0 is the little cubed waterproof lighting if i'm traveling on the go to say go camping or go outdoors in mammoth or something like that i love bringing those because you cannot break them I use them as much for content as I do around camp, just to set up the tent. Or if we're out at the river, you could put them underwater and turn the river into like your private pool. It's like a, a really cool lighting accessory. I call it like, it's like light style. There's the light style side of it that all the things outside of content that lighting is great for. But then if I want to take a cool photo, I can plop them underwater and, and use it in that aspect and shoot maybe a puddle or something where I put it in the water and it's used for that. I'll always bring probably a panel mini and a panel go. If I really need to light something up or I'm doing product photography or even night photography where I just want to floodlight and just light the scene, whether it's a, a big tree or something like that. And then back to the LoomCube 2.0, there's a bunch of cool filters and accessories. So you can actually put colored gels over your LoomCube or a little snoot or barn doors and it, they're so small, I usually just keep a couple on me just in case. But if something calls for colored light or shaping light, that's always fun to mess around with. And then I guess just other gear I have. Always have a tripod. I love night photography, long exposures. And shoot with Sony, a couple lenses and a laptop to look at them. It's usually the combo. That sounds good. This yeah. is, it's really fun to talk about because I think lighting is something that people take for granted. If you're not into photography, you just think, I turn on a light, I turn off a light, and that's it. But when you yeah. start paying attention, you realize there's a big difference between overhead lighting and underlit things and backlit things. And it's great to have something like this where you can actually add a lot of character to what you're doing. It really helps define the content and give you style. Yeah, 100%. And I think the cool thing with lights is once you have one or two, you realize what you can do with three or four. Last night's a perfect example. We were down in um, Cardiff here and, and shooting long exposures around this lifeguard tower. And the shot itself looked really cool. It was my my friend pretending to take a photo and, and light painting this lifeguard tower. I'm like, that's a cool photo, but I wanted to silhouette him a little more. So I put another loom cube behind him that backlit him and made them all silhouetted. And 
that made the shot. I was like, we can go home. That's it right there. So if you don't have like your second or third light, you don't have the opportunity to do that. So I always recommend bringing a couple in the gear bag so you can have fun with multiple light setups. That's great. Is there anything coming up that we should know about? It seems like you already have so many cool products, but is there anything you can talk about that's coming up in the next couple of months? Yes. November 19th, we have a very cool product launching for the photo and video market out there. There's not a lot of hints I can give without just totally spilling the beans. So I would just say, keep an eye out. It'll be probably my favorite product we've ever put out for the creators. The thing is badass. So yeah, keep an eye out. That's what we were filming last night. We've been shooting the video for quite some time now. So super excited to share that with everyone. Wow. If that's not a tease, I don't know what is. But Trevor, thanks for coming by and, and chatting with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Scott. Appreciate it. When it comes to working from home, video calls are obviously a big focus lately, and lighting definitely does make a big difference, but you should consider several other important factors as well before Zooming, Skyping, Teamsing, or however you're video collaborating. For starters, is there any more important part of the equation than the camera itself? And yet, you're still relying on that little pinhole at the top of your laptop? Okay, it's convenient but you may want to consider purchasing a higher quality external camera. The Logitech C920S has pretty much become the de facto standard as far as webcam upgrades for general use. In fact, as of this episode's airing, that camera, which goes for $70, is so popular that it's sold out on Logitech's site. Apparently, folks seem to like that it records in full high definition, perches neatly atop your laptop or external monitor, purports to automatically adjust for low light conditions, features a nice privacy shutter you can fold down for peace of mind, and sports a nice wide-angle lens to help ensure you're well-framed. Which reminds me, people, please be aware of your camera height. Wow, that's some double chin you have. When's the last time you trimmed those nose hairs? You don't want folks on a business or leisure call thinking about these sorts of things. Hey, in a pinch, I've even used an empty Amazon box that happens to be just lying around. Just something level that can raise your computer's vantage point a good 7 or 8 inches, optimally so the camera's closer to eye level, which makes you appear much more even-keeled and conversational. When you're ready to upgrade from the used cardboard box method, I have a recommendation based on personal experience. I've been using the Uncaged Ergonomics WorkEasy Executive for a while, in fact, for over nine years, according to the original email I just tracked down. And I'm still just as happy with it now as I was when I first got it. I love how adjustable and sturdy yet lightweight it is. It's got these three incrementally adjustable segmented legs that snap into place at just the touch of a button. So I can fold it flat right onto my lap, configure it for what I call breakfast in bed mode for use while sitting on a couch or actually lying in bed, and I like how I can angle the keyboard tray, open up the monitor a little wider, and pretty quickly achieve a much more flattering video perspective of myself. Oh, and I can even swing the legs down so they reach the ground and the unit stands on its own, which essentially means as displaced as my workstation may ever be, and it usually is, I'm always portable and comfortable and stable. You can definitely find sleeker laptop stands meant to only be used on a desktop, but nothing nearly as versatile as this. 
Actually, human scale offers a fantastic example of that sleekness I just mentioned. Their quick stand line literally takes things to a whole new level, with a few models that basically convert your existing desk to a sit-stand desk. They each feature a tray for your keyboard, a place to affix your monitor, and slick cable management, which I love to geek out on. And that whole rig rises up. Basically, you're able to reap the physical and productivity benefits of a dedicated sit-stand desk for a fraction of what you might spend on one. Speaking of which, I would welcome the opportunity to <clears throat> try out one of these versatile desks. In fact, in case anyone from HumanSkill happens to be listening, consider that a standing offer. Seriously though, I'm a big fan of these really cool, minimalistic, motorized, and non-motorized solutions. When it comes to providing electricity to everything that needs it in, on, and around your workstation, you might still picture a classic power strip. You know, that ugly rectangle hidden away, for a good reason, under your desk. Well, Excel, A-C-C-E-L-L, adds dimension, style, and purpose to their power accessories. A few of my favorite examples are the Power Cutie, that's their term, not mine, which is roughly the size and shape of a grapefruit and available in primary colors that pop. This compact surge protector features a total of three three-prong outlets around the back and sides, two USB outlets on the front, and two more USB outlets on the top for easy access to charging your mobile devices. But if you're okay with losing a three-prong outlet in favor of gaining a horizontal wireless charging stand for your phone, the Wireless Block Mini looks like a great choice. For even more versatility, they offer two amazing options. It looks like they've taken on the PowerSquid brand. In case you haven't already heard of them, PowerSquid was one of the first nonconformists in the multi-outlet surge protector space. And yes, it really does look like a squid with five tentacle-like outlets. And saving, at least in my humble opinion, the best for last, we have the Power U. Based on how it attaches to a desk, it really could be called the Power C, but basically it's got a flat top part that lives on the desktop, featuring the power switch and four USB ports, which makes sense given that you'll probably have devices on your desk that you'll want to charge. Then there's a vertical part that goes down, and the bottom of the C, or U, goes under the desk with a part that springs up to help it stay in place. That section houses a total of six three-prong outlets, three on either side, for you to connect monitors, lamps, printers, whatever. But what's great is that because of the shape, it could also clamp onto the neck of a big monitor stand, or a cubicle wall, or even stand free by itself on your desk. Just a great mix of form and versatility. In a similar vein, let's briefly touch on the wide world of docking stations. There are so many out there, and I really haven't properly researched or tested them, so I'll probably do a separate article rounding up my favorites. But let's talk about them for a minute. As you may remember from the days when you actually had to go into an office, only to be guilted into bringing home your laptop, it's really nice to have a minimum of cords to disconnect before you can get up and go. Working in tandem with that concept, today's laptops have fewer outlets and built-in accessories in the name of making them lighter and razor thin. Docking stations solve both of these problems. They let you have a light laptop 
and add back whatever connections and functionality you might be missing. It could be USB outlets for accessories like mice and keyboards, USB-C for charging, memory card slots, video outputs. Beyond just finding a brand you trust or a style that catches your fancy, the dock you get really depends on what's missing from your computer and what you're trying to accomplish. In the end, even if you're just moving around the house, a docking station definitely makes life easier. Okay, so one of the product categories I've mentioned a few times and kind of danced around is monitors. Similar to the docking stations, there are so many brands and choices and features, I could easily do a roundup about which monitors I like best in terms of size, resolution, value, business, gaming, you get the picture. But there was one pretty cool desktop monitor that stands out in my memory from the Consumer Electronics Show way back in January. It's HP's S430C. What makes it special isn't just that it's 43 inches and curved, but that you can plug two laptops into it. Think about that for a second, because it's the reverse of what we've heard about for a while. Usually we talk about plugging in multiple monitors to one computer. In this case, you plug two computers, whether they be Mac, Windows, or Chromebook, into this one formidable screen. It's especially helpful for folks with a business and a personal laptop. But the killer feature that caught my attention was how it treats the monitor as one workspace. To put it another way, with a single mouse connected to both laptops at the same time, you can drag something from one laptop and drop it into the other. Of course, having said that, it is $1,000 and, as of this recording, showing is out of stock. So let's look at a couple of other options to increase your screen real estate. An accessories company called Vissels makes a nice 15-inch portable touchscreen HD monitor that connects to Android phones if they support video out through a USB-C connection, and laptops either through USB-C or HDMI. One good use case for a side monitor like this is on a call where you could have the call itself on your main screen and notes about the colleagues you're conversing with on a different one. Or, if you be so bold, it's a semi-socially distanced way to share your screen in an in-person meeting. According to their site, it's available for pre-order now and they're planning to ship it later this month. Another cool portable monitor solution I've seen and used a little bit is called Sidetrack. That's side and then T-R-A-K. It's a 12 and a half inch full HD monitor that attaches to the back of your laptop using four magnets stuck to the corners. Unless you decide to remove it for whatever reason, it just sort of sits back there until you need it. When you do, just slide it out and adjust the angle as much as 270 degrees. Anything from a slight tilt to essentially what looks like a double-sided monitor. Based on that flexibility, how it works with any operating system, and connects via USB or USB-C, it certainly seems pretty versatile and very travel-friendly, especially if you're the type who regularly finds themselves on a train or plane and doesn't mind spending more for that factor. Although, truth be told, spending all this time in front of computer screens can lead to eye strain and potentially disrupt your natural sleep pattern. So a good idea, apart from simply striving to minimize your screen time, which may not be so easy, is whenever you find yourself staring at a screen to don a pair of blue blocking glasses. Companies like Pixel Eyewear 
are making stylish looking ones that don't have that kind of yellow tint that makes it look like you've either just come from the shooting range or are trying to imitate a certain Irish rock singer. Bottom line, if you find yourself tempted by the constant ability to log into work, especially after dark, or even if you're good about taking breaks only to dive right in front of a big screen and binge watch your favorite TV shows, you really should consider some blue light blocking specs to minimize potential sleep disruptions and help save your peepers. So far, we've focused a lot on what you see, but what about what you hear? Depending on how tied to calls you are all day, you might want to use a hands-free Bluetooth conference speaker, like the handy ones offered by Anchor and Buyer Dynamic. Both are small, portable, in fact, pocketable, and compatible with audio or video calls through your phone or PC. They're especially great if there happen to be multiple people in the room or if you just like to roam around as you talk, because they have sophisticated microphone arrays that track the location of whoever's speaking. Just keep in mind, while they do offer 360-degree sound input and output, they're not designed to compete with mainstream Bluetooth speakers in terms of belting out sound. For a mixed use case like that, you'd be better served considering a headset, such as the new Jabra Evolve 2 65. Released just last week, it's a lightweight headset that features passive noise cancellation, in other words, the comfy cups that fit over your ears block out a decent amount of sound when you wear them. But even though they surround your ears, they're relatively small, so you won't look like you're landing a plane or anything like that. Okay, so let's get into all their handy features. For starters, they claim to offer 37 hours of battery life. Not that you want or need to work for a day and a half straight, but nice to know that you shouldn't have to worry about them dying in the middle of a call, especially since they can quick charge for which they have a cool optional charging stand accessory. By the way, when you're on a call, I love this feature. Each ear cup sports a little red light that acts as a warning for any housemates to please not disturb you. If they somehow don't get the picture, no worries. Just raise the little microphone arm. It automatically mutes the mic no matter what communications program you're in. You can then proceed to yell at the offending parties if you want, and then lower your mic to get back to business. They wirelessly pair with your phone or laptop, and they do have decent drivers for listening to music. So even after you've hung up on your calls, you can still hang out and chill with your tunes. Last but not least, let's not forget about your nose. As you think about being holed up in your home office for the winter, you can at least have the air around you properly hydrated and smelling nice. Well, Guru Nanda's new White Tower XL diffuser is the only product out there that can do both. With a fragrant array of essential oils to choose from, it's strong enough to freshen a room up to 300 square feet, so 15 by 20. Plenty for the average size office, and certainly enough to make it more pleasing when you're working at the old factory. Of course, this is nowhere near an exhaustive list. And in fact, home office and automation is one of the five main categories of the family CTO, so it's a topic we'll revisit and continue to expand on in depth as we grow. In the meantime, in case anything sparked your interest, we've included non-affiliate links in this episode's description that go straight to the various product pages. Whether you click or not, we hope you at least have a stronger sense of how to better see, be seen, hear, be heard, stay organized, and even create a lovely smellscape when working from wherever you make your home office.
Thanks again to our guest, Trevor Farrow from LoomCube. Although, I do wish he'd let us in on his big announcement. It seems pretty ironic that a guy who's all about light would intentionally keep us in the dark. But the good news is that based on when this is posting, and you're listening, the most you'll have to wait to find out what he was talking about is a day. In any case, if you'd like to hear more Family CTO podcasts about a range of tech topics designed to arm you folks charged with outfitting your digital households, find us and subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, or Amazon Music. Or better yet, just ask your nearest Amazon Echo speaker to play the Family CTO podcast. Next week's episode will be both timely and slightly controversial. We'll examine another very specific application of light, UVC in sanitizing tech, with a focus on what that form of ultraviolet light can and can't do, especially with regard to the virus behind COVID-19. Definitely an interesting discussion with a couple of guests approaching the issue from very different angles. So until next time, take care, and remember, don't be left to your own devices. This podcast, copyrighted 2020, is the intellectual property of the Family CTO, a division of the Gadget Concierge Incorporated, all rights reserved.